I'm very excited to welcome back to the program someone who uh, has been on the program before and you could say is no stranger to the to the program, no stranger to Mike Check uh, or even Counterpoint, uh, which will be on tomorrow night, of course, uh, hosted by Scott Harris, and that is Stanley Heller. Stanley is a organizer with a number of groups, including Promoting Enduring Peace, Middle East Crisis Committee, and is also the host and producer of The Struggle Video News, which is a video news magazine that amplifies and highlights local, national, and international social justice movements and organizing. So without any further ado, Stan, welcome back to Mic Check. Well, thanks for inviting me. Of course. Uh, yeah, welcome back. I'm glad you could be back on the on the show and join me tonight. How you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. Not this hot today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It is. Uh, it's getting hot. And uh, and so I am. I'm glad that you were able to, like I said, to to join me tonight. And I'm really excited for the conversation that we're going to have, because as usual, we're going to touch on a couple different topics, and. And it's all important stuff. Tonight, we're, we're going to be connecting our local communities here in Connecticut to current events in Palestine and Ukraine. Uh, we're going to start off the show talking about Palestine. Mm-hmm. So, Stan, on Sunday, June 19th, I was actually here hosting uh, an episode of Mic Check at the time. But the Palestine Museum U.S. in Woodbridge that night uh, hosted an event where they unveiled a new painting of the murdered Palestinian journalist, Shireen Abu Akleh. Stan, you were yeah, at... Yeah, it you, was. Yeah, I'm you, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was just going to say you were at the event, and I was, yeah, I was wondering if you could um, if you could share some of your thoughts on it. It was an excellent event. I hadn't been to the museum in, in quite a while, of course, because of COVID. And uh, they commissioned this painting by a, a well-known Palestinian artist, artist Jacqueline Bijani. So she did this portrait of Shireen Abu Akleh, uh, they, they unveiled it. Uh, they had a program about uh, current persecutions and so on, and about particularly what happened to her. And, uh, you know, we all got to take a look in the museum again, which was, was, was great. And then afterwards we had ice cream, which we can get into later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that just sounds like a really incredible event. And I was actually wondering if, for anyone who's listening now, who isn't familiar with what happened to Shireen Abu Akhla. Could you sure. give a little bit of background as well? Yeah, I mean, this was uh, perhaps uh, Palestine's uh, most famous journalist, uh, TV journalist. She worked for the Al Jazeera um, uh, TV program, and uh, she was outside of Janine and was going to cover an Israeli raid. And she was shot to death. It was a hail of bullets. She was shot. Another Palestinian was shot in the back. Um, It was awful. She was killed. And uh, this was was May 11th. She had on a press uh, jacket, you know, protection. said press front and back. She had a helmet on. And a sniper got her. And almost certainly it was an Israeli sniper. And the Israelis basically said, well, you know, there was a conflict. Uh, There was, uh, they have a playbook, you know. One of them was uh, 
caught in a uh, hail of gunfire on both sides. But it was it was absolute bunk. There was no such thing. And uh, she almost surely was targeted. And she's also an American. You know, the U.S. pretty much ignores Palestinians getting killed. Another Palestinian was killed today. But this was not only a journalist. She had American citizenship. And so, uh, remarkably, a lot of people in the House and Senate uh, asked for an FBI investigation. Fifty-seven members of the U.S. House, including Johanna Hayes of the 5th District up in Waterbury and Danbury, and Senator Chris Murphy, along with 11 other members of the Senate. And they wrote to uh, the FBI, they wrote to the uh, State Department, and... uh, there's been no answer. Uh, Biden has not answered them. And as you probably know, he's on his way to uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, there's <laughs> the idea of investigation. Uh, it, I mean, it's amazing this number of people who are willing to uh, call for it in the House and Senate. But there doesn't have to be one because there's already been five or six investigations. The first one was by the Palestinian Authority Attorney General, who said that the bullet that came from the gun came from one produced by Connecticut's Ruger Corporation, another investigation by CNN, another by the Associated Press, another by the Washington Post, another by the open source group Bellingcat, and the most recent one by the United Nations Human Rights Office. They all said that she was shot dead by the Israelis. So, you know, what what more has to be done? If Israel was interested, they could just say, you know, who shot her? They know the unit that was there. They could say, all right, uh, let's see all your guns. We'll find out which one did it. Instead, they made this whole song and dance about getting the bullet, and uh, the Palestine Authority held off for two months. Then, uh, I don't know, two days ago, the... Prime Minister of Palestine, or President, rather, said he gave the bullet to the U.S. for the investigation. And the U.S. gave it to Israel, at any rate. Uh, what needs to be done is, is for justice is that some action be taken against Israel for all these people it's killed, like cutting off the billions and billions of aid, taxpayer money, $4.8 billion this year given to Israel. I mean, that would be significant. Anyway, if people want to find out more facts about the case, including links to all these investigations, they can go to a website called justiceforshireen.webador.com. There's this company, Webador, W-E-B-A-D-O-R, that allows people to have websites for free if they like, justiceforshireen.webador.com. So that's that's the background to this awful killing. Thank you so much for sharing that, Stan. And Shireen is spelled S-H-I-R-E-E-N as well. That's right. And I'll, of course, be sure to include the link the, the, for the, the, in the recording uh, or the, the, the webpage of the recording of tonight's program as well. Good. And so, and you had alluded earlier at the, when you were speaking about the Palestine Museum U.S. in Woodbridge, their, their event where they unveiled a new tribute to Shireen. It was a painting correct? Mm-hmm. A portrait, yes. Yeah, so, and you were speaking about a bit about the event, and you had you had alluded to this earlier, but essentially 
um, like you were saying, Ben and Jerry's uh, provided free ice cream to everyone who attended the event. Could you talk about that and and also explain the significance behind uh, specifically Ben and Jerry's doing that? Yeah, because uh, that connects um, as nice as that was, and, and there was a lot of nice ice cream to the fifty or so people there. <laughs> but there's been a, a um, unfortunate development. I mean, Ben and Jerry said, uh, I can't remember now if it was this year. I think it was the end of last year. It would no longer sell its ice cream in the territories that Israel conquered in 1967 because it. It's a corporate company that tries to be politically uh, involved in human rights, and uh, it knows what Israel does there. Well, the Zionist government of Israel was furious. I mean, the president and prime minister each issued statements about an ice cream company. And then they they said, well, you know, if they're not going to sell in the territories, they can't sell in uh, Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or any part of Israel. And this is vile discrimination against Jews. I mean, it has nothing to do with Jews. Uh, ben and Jerry's are both Jews, as far as I know. At any rate, uh, supporters of Palestinian human rights were feeling pretty good at this. And uh, that's why when it was offered to the Palestinian Museum, it was certainly welcome. Well, um, there's news. Now, Ben and Jerry's don't own the company anymore. They created it, I don't know, in the 1970s, and they sold it uh, years ago. And uh, now it's owned by a giant multinational called Unilever, or Unilever. And last week, Unilever sold its Israel outfit to an Israel company. So... It will, it, you know, it will. The packaging won't say Ben and Jerry's. It'll say whatever it said in its Hebrew name, or Hebrew transliteration, or whatever. It'll still be the same ice cream. They're going to sell it all over uh, the areas that Israel uh, conquered in the territories, Israel proper, and so on. And so that's that's a sad thing, and um, that ties into a. Uh, a U.S. federal court decision on uh, BDS. I mean, for those who don't know, BDS boycotts, divestment, sanctions, mostly boycotts, uh, efforts at people to pressure the Israeli government to stop its uh, outrages by refusing to buy this or that Israeli product. Well, there's been these laws in state governments trying to uh, force people not to do boycotts. And uh, there's been court cases and so on, but the more, most significant one has to do with a newspaper called the Arkansas Times. And this, uh, in Arkansas, they passed a law saying that you have to sign a loyalty oath or an agreement, a contract. Uh, if you want to do any business with the state of Arkansas, you have to sign the statement saying you will not boycott Israel. Now, the Arkansas Times doesn't boycott Israel. They never wrote about Israel. But they just, they thought it was a matter of principle that, uh, you know, we don't want the state of Arkansas to tell us what to write about or to call for. So they they refused to sign it. And so the, uh, uh, I forget what part of the state, the some kind of university board uh, said, well, we're not going to advertise in the Arkansas Times. So the Arkansas Times went to court. 
So they uh, lost at the first level. They went got a federal judge who, who said, you, the newspaper, absolutely right. But then the last week, the full U.S. Federal Appeal Court ruled that what had happened uh, was not a matter of free speech. It was uh, just a mere commercial activity and that the state of Arkansas had a right to, uh, uh, to do this so that the law is constitutional. And that prompted Max Brantley, who's a senior editor at this uh, Arkansas uh, Times, to tell the court, apparently they think the Boston Tea Party was not about speech, but an economic activity. Anyway, the uh, matter goes up to the Supreme Court of the United States, probably next year, and, but, you know, we know the way the the radical right has taken over that court, so one trembles about what they're going to decide if people don't get out and start screaming about this. I mean, it's not only going to be involving uh, Palestine and BDS and so on. It's a matter of climate activism, uh, gun control, and, and unions when they go on strike. A year ago in Texas, uh, Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill into law banning state investment in businesses that cut ties with the oil and gas industry. So they're going to boycott the boycotters, they say. So they're going to use this stuff. If it's if they can do loyalty oaths about BDS, they're going to do it for all these other things. And one thing that I find remarkable is that labor unions have not said anything. You know, when a, when a union goes on strike and uh, you know, at uh, some company, they produce this or that. They want people not to buy that thing, boycott that stuff. I mean, the most famous boycott uh, uh, by labor was uh, the legendary grape and lettuce boycotts by Cesar Chavez in, in the 70s. Um, you know, unions should be uh, screaming and yelling about this and, and having their members talk about this. So I hope they will. I hope they will. But this is another setback. Quite, quite a setback. Um, last thing on, on BDS, uh, going the other way, the DSA, uh, which is a very large uh, socialist organization in the United States, just started a, 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 a boycott campaign. They call it No Appetite for Apartheid. Apartheid being uh, de facto the system of Israel. So they're calling, uh, they're talking about food products. They're asking people uh, not to buy things like Sabra Hummus, Pillsbury products. It's not an Israeli company, but they have a plant on confiscated Palestinian land. And uh, any produce like dates and oranges made in Israel. So they're going to be asking stores to, uh, you know, not uh, to voluntarily not have uh, commerce with Israeli products and things like that. So that's a... That's a campaign that, that has started. If people want to hear more about that, they can go to thestruggle.org and scroll down to our headline section, and they can see uh, information about this DSA, BDS uh, effort. i got to get all my initials correct. Thank you so much for sharing all that, Stan. Right now, there are calls to relieve the staggering debt facing Ukraine. Can you talk about this this topic and the the legislation 
that would address this, as well as what our local representatives here in Connecticut are doing, if anything, about this? This came up in a, a number of venues, including there was a, a, a program at the New Haven Library about a week ago. Brazilian unionists who had gone on a tour to meet with Ukrainian unionists in, in Lviv, in western Ukraine, uh, are doing a tour of the United States. And so they spoke in New Haven, and, and they talked about their experiences there, and uh, which were pretty remarkable, talking about uh, 3,000 miners who just volunteered for the Army, just laid down their uh, tools and, and joined the Army to defend the country. Um, but a big thing is Ukraine's debt. A lot of these countries are saddled with debts, and Ukraine... Uh, owes, I think, $20 billion to international agencies. And uh, a lot of people have been collecting money, you know, nickels and dimes and dollars and so on, to buy uh, all kinds of supplies. But at the same time, Ukraine owes money and, and has to pay it and has to plan on that. And uh, they're, they're not. And, and But that doesn't mean that they let them off. So the... Uh, with the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, says, well, you're not paying. Well, you got to pay now a penalty, $14 million a month in penalties. So anyway, there's an effort in Congress to stop this. And there's a House bill, 7081, that already passed that would require the Department of Treasury to advocate for debt relief for Ukraine from these international institutions like the IMF and the World Bank and so on. And uh, Congressman uh, Jim Himes was a big supporter. He's uh, down in Fairfield County. Uh, there's some interesting aspects uh, to it. Uh, one of them is that uh, the bill specifically includes support for refugees of African descent. There have been real problems with African refugees who happen to be in Ukraine on February 24th is experiencing discrimination, uh, like they wouldn't be let out of Ukraine, they wouldn't be let out to neighboring countries. So that is addressed in this. So this passed the U.S. House in May. Here it is July. I haven't heard that it's gone anywhere in the Senate. So uh, our senators uh, should be talked uh, to, uh, uh, and anybody's in the U.S., uh, who hears this program on the internet can talk to their own senators about this bill. It would be a huge um, benefit to Ukraine if uh, if this uh, debt was written off or uh, you know, delayed or whatever. Um, of course, other countries could uh, sure <laughs> uh, use it also, but it would be good in this particular instance if this uh, this bill which is House H.R. 7081, if that could be uh, passed by Congress and signed by the president. Thank you, Stan, for sharing all that important information. Well, there's more to talk about with Ukraine. I interviewed um, a professor from American University in Washington, D.C., and uh, she had gone on a religious uh, delegation to Ukraine with some very high-level people. So she went on, uh, uh, Muslim people, 
uh, uh, Catholic people. They they formed this delegation, and they were in uh, uh, Kiev mostly, and in its surrounding areas, including Bucha, Bucha, where that horrible massacre took place. And uh, so that's on uh, the struggle video. If you look at if you go to the struggle you can see some of the things uh, she has said. And then we've done uh, some posts. We, we have a website, ukraineposts.webador.com. And uh, if you go to it, it's highlighted, Defeat the Putin Invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and we talk um, about a lot of Ukraine news, um, in particular, that would appeal to the left, that would influence the left. We have a real problem with that because uh, there's a lot of enablers really out there that have um, been getting it wrong and seeing really blaming the U.S. mostly for this. I mean, you know, I blame the U.S. government for a million things, Iraq and, and uh, you know, the way it's dealing with Israel and everything. But the prime problem with Ukraine is Russia. They've invaded. They're slaughtering the place. And uh, we have on that, on that page links to articles criticizing a lot of the old idols, Noam Chomsky, uh, Katrina Vanden Heuvel, Chris Hedges, uh, Andrew Basevich, um, people who are not, not given the right analysis of this. We have an article about the alt-imperialists. That's maybe a phrase that a lot of people don't know. But um, people who claim to be anti-imperialists can't see any problem with what Russia or China is doing. But uh, uh, I didn't invent the phrase. Uh, I know you know the fellow, Joey Ayub. He came up with it saying they're they're not anti-imperialists. They're alt-imperialists. They don't have any problem with it alternate uh, imperial effort. Um, so anyway, that people might uh, go to that website and uh, get into that stuff, ukraineposts.webador.com. Thank you for that, Stan. And that is definitely something that interests me. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a strange thing when someone will say that they're anti-imperialist, but then be supporting imperialism when it comes from Governments that are not the U.S. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a little bit of time left, Stan. So I was wondering, uh, first, if you could if you could tell our listeners how they can uh, find out more about the and plug in to the the various organizations that you're involved in. Well, the basic sites that uh, are thestruggle.org, thestruggleVideo.org and pepeace.org. And uh, on that very last one, we have a minute. Uh, there's a picture of a, uh, a leaf blower on pepeace.org. The, the, the latest uh, figures show that uh, Connecticut is burning 40 million gallons of gas a year just for lawn care. Not just leaf blowers, but lawn mowers and all kinds of things. 40 million gallons that's going up in the air, greenhouse gases, 
and it's going into the lungs of the people who operate on it. It's going into the ears of people who operate these machines and everybody who is <laughs> within a, you know, a football field away of those machines. And that's something that really should be addressed. And we've talked about it on the show before, but that's something people could check out. Uh, 40 million gallons a year just for lawn care in Connecticut. And uh, if you have just a, a final closing thought that you'd like to to give briefly as well, Stan. Closing thought. <laughs> I've been uh, through a million here, but uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe July 4th, maybe don't... Uh, blow off a firecracker. It's really heck for dogs and a lot of animals. It really bothers them. Maybe use that money to uh, plant a tree. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Stanley Heller, activist, organizer, uh, video host, and producer with Promoting Enduring Peace, Middle East Crisis Committee, and the Struggle Video News. Thank you so much, as always, Stan, for being on the program and for all the work that you do. Thanks for inviting me again. Bye-bye now.